0: Okay, Uh, you know, as we get into the message this morning, I want to talk to you about one of the things that I think is kind of odd about Christians and their views of Jesus. Uh, There are a number of things that we just love, we absolutely love about Jesus, and yet we don't necessarily want to seem to replicate those things that he did ourselves. You know, a really good example of this is how Jesus interacted with people. Uh, particularly who he interacted with. And so today as we continue in our uh, lost and found series on the gospel of Luke in the Bible, uh, we're going to come across a story where we as believers in Christ might want to say, "Oh, yes! Like you go, Jesus, that's awesome." And yet when someone says, "And we should go do the same," we go, "Ah. Mm, yeah, but um hmm. a couple reasons why I can't do that." Like we'd love it when Jesus does it. But we don't necessarily want to do it ourselves. And may that just never be the case with us, right? Because by definition, to be a Christian is to be like Christ. And so we're going to continue in uh, Luke chapter 5. We've just been going through the book of Luke in the Bible. We're actually going to skip over a story this morning. Uh, That's the story of the four friends bringing the paralyzed man to Jesus. And we're going to skip over it because we've already taught on that passage uh, twice already in our our church history. Um, We're we're going to skip to the next story in Luke chapter 5. There's a Bible under every chair if you want to follow along in the story today. I think that's great. You can make sure I'm not making stuff up. Uh, We're going to be on page 836. uh, Or you can use the Renovation Church app. I just have Bible, uh, and you can look at weekly verses, and you'll see it all there as well. So page 836, we're going to see Jesus reach out to a tax collector named Levi, uh, who's also named uh, Matthew as well. Okay, so Luke chapter 5, page 836, we're going to start right at verse 27. Here's what it says. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything... And followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees these are kind of like the religious, Jewish religious leaders of the day, and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, complained to the disciples, "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" Jesus answered them, "It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick." I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. Okay, so you have Jesus. He calls this man Levi to be his disciple. Now, Levi is a tax collector. So, you know, at first glance, I don't know how much you've read the Bible before. Maybe you're looking at this and you're thinking, okay, okay, you know, Pharisees don't really like this guy because it's kind of like he works for the IRS, right? And who, work, who likes people who work for the IRS? If you do, I'm so sorry, by the way. I, l- I love you. You're welcome. Um... <laughs> But it's actually much worse than this, because historically, here's what happened. At this time in history, 2,000 years ago, the Roman Empire had conquered much of the known world, and part of the world they had conquered was Israel. And so they came in, conquered it, uh, even murdered many of the Israelites through their brutal conquering wars. And then, in order to support their massive Roman army and empire, they charged taxes, on the local Israelite people. And here's how they did this. They hired local Jewish people from the area to become tax collectors. And then they even told those tax collectors, hey, if you want to hike up the price a little bit and keep some of the margin for yourself, eh, that's okay. Do that if you want. Right? This would be like if Canada went crazy, right? And they came down. It could happen, right? They, they, they come down and they conquer us, right? They even murder some of your friends, And then they decide that they're going to ask people like, say, your neighbor, for instance, to become tax collectors. And now your neighbor is knocking at your door saying, hey, you owe taxes to the Canadians. And on top of that, they've jacked up the price, and they're taking the extra money from you to buy themselves a fancy new car. Okay, so you can imagine that the tax collectors were some of the most hated people in all of Israel. Because of their choices. And that's the type of person that Jesus calls to be one of his disciples. Right? Not this like, super religious person, never miss church. He calls a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Despite what he's done. You see, I just want you to hear that word this morning. If you are struggling right now. Or maybe even just feeling some guilt in your life because of something you did. Maybe even this weekend maybe even this week, this past year, I just want to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ knew about it. He knew you were going to do it. Even when he was deciding to go to the cross, he knew it was going to happen. And he still died for you anyway. And today, he, still, he knows he's still calling you to himself anyway, saying, I know, I know, but come follow me. He has that much grace and forgiveness. And that's amazing. And so you look at Levi, and Levi, this tax collector, he's so excited that Jesus would accept him, that Jesus would forgive him, that he decides he's going to throw this huge banquet, this huge party at his house, and he basically invites what many people of the day had considered the scum of the earth. He invites all of his tax collector friends to this party, and he invites them to the party so what? So they could meet Jesus at the party. I just love that. I love that. But you know who doesn't love that? The Pharisees. The religious establishment of the day. They cannot believe that a godly person like Jesus would associate with such immoral and sinful people. Let alone eat with them, right? Okay, so why does this make them so upset? These religious people. Now, when I say religion, I don't mean like, okay, there's all sorts of different religions in the world. Uh, Religion... uh, Typically means this. It's anytime that you are trying to, through your own good works, earn your way to heaven, earn your way to be saved on your own by being good. That's religion, and that's not Christianity. See, the Pharisees are religious. And so, anytime you're religious, what you want to do when you're trying to earn your own way is often people will create a distinction, they'll even create a dichotomy between these are the good people. And these are the bad people. I didn't say good and bad choices. They'll go as far as saying these are the good people, these are the bad people. Uh, People who don't understand Christianity. People who still prefer religion today. In fact, I would say basically almost anyone in the world who doesn't understand the teachings and the grace of Jesus still gravitates towards this type of religious thinking where you have good people over here and bad people over here. People, even if they never go to church or a mosque or anything, people, right, just read the news, people are fiercely moral today. Right? Even people who are way far on the other end of the spectrum and they say, no, 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 I'm super tolerant and people can choose to do whatever they want to do with their life. Like, let me give you an example. Okay, let's take like a, a young atheist college student right? And, and maybe that student would say, hey, it's totally up to anyone how they want to live their life. And yet, when you really would press that said person, you'd find that, that that's actually f- almost the furthest thing from what they truly believe. Right? Because that same college student, like pick, pick any hot-button issue of the day, right? that same college student would so quickly condemn the sin of racism. And rightly so, right? But they wouldn't say, oh, no, 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 that's up to you. If you want to be racist, be racist. No way, right? They would, in, in, in the Me Too era, they would quickly condemn the sin of sexual harassment, and rightfully so, right? They would quickly condemn those who don't look out for the oppressed. You can pick any sort of issue you want. And so even a young college atheist of today cannot help themselves from creating the line between good people like themselves and maybe another group of people like the old racist sexual harassers who are clearly in a category beneath them see, the Pharisees are just like this, even though they're super religious people. And for years, they've been creating this distinction of two categories. They call people like themselves the righteous, and everybody else who isn't making good choices like them are called the sinners. In fact, later, when Jesus is telling kind of a hypothetical story, he even gives us an example of how a Pharisee would pray. Look at this. It's from Luke chapter 18. Jesus says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you then I am not like other people. Look at this. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he's gonna, he's in a different category because of all the things he does, right? He says, I fast twice a week. I give a 10th of all I get. And we read stuff like that. And of course, we never wanna identify ourselves with the Pharisee, right? Whenever we read a story, we just naturally wanna identify with the protagonist, right? And we're like, of course, we're like Jesus in this story. But I read Luke chapter 5 and I think, I don't, I'm, I'm not so sure that we are more like Jesus than the Pharisee. I, I could give you a whole list of types of people that even a lot of Christians consider themselves better than because of what they do, right? And that's religion. Like, are you better than your sibling who can't keep a job are you better than your coworker who's gay are you better than your friend that got divorced are you better are you in a different category than a person who can't afford to buy a home are you better than that couple who's living together are you better than that person who voted for insert whomever you want right listen i'm not saying that there's no such thing as a right or wrong, right? Come here for more than two weeks and quickly be clear. Jesus is absolutely clear about what's right or wrong. But he's also absolutely clear that we cannot, based on what we do, create different distinctions of people. Like these are the good people and these are the bad people. Look at verse 32 again, if you have it in front of you. What does Jesus say? He says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And what he's doing here is a literary device. He's actually mocking the Pharisees, because right? they're not actually righteous for what they do. In fact, another Bible translation, the New Living Translation, gets at that sarcasm a little bit. It actually says, Jesus, they have Jesus saying, I've not come to call those who think that they are righteous, right? But those who know that we're just not, we're not good. There's no such thing as being righteous on your own. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, no, there is not one. There's no one is righteous. No one, not even one. Like if I've done anything good in my life, it's because of God working in me. Not because of me. See, but if I forget that, I forget the basic tenets of who Jesus is and what Christianity is about. What's going to happen is I'm going to start going through my day, looking at people I work with, people on the street, people in my neighborhood, and I'll start looking at them through the eyes of a judge. And not a good judge either, but an incredibly biased one. And I'll be looking at people and I'll be categorizing them, certainly as beneath me, because of what they don't do. Or maybe what they do. But they're not like me, so they're beneath me. And I'm looking all day long through the eyes of a judge. But we're not called to look at people through the eyes of a judge. How does scripture tell you you're supposed to look at people? We should see them through the eyes of a doctor. Why? Because this is how Jesus sees people. Looking again at verse 31. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor the sick. Uh, I'm really indebted to Professor uh, Donald Sanukian uh, in his thoughts on this verse. He's just it's got some amazing stuff. He correctly points out that when you look at people, the people that you see you know, throughout your week, when you look at them, not through the eyes of a judge, but through the eyes of a doctor, you can see their hurts. And that God can heal them. So let me give you a couple of examples of this. It's no longer... You know that person at work, like that person? You know what I'm talking about? Like the person who's just always yelling at people and they're just always complaining about everything, right? Or maybe they make people feel uncomfortable and you just feel like, oh, he's just kind of a jerk. And you go home and you talk to your spouse over dinner like, oh, such a jerk. What is that? That's looking at people through the eyes of a judge. You're here. Right, because of what you kind of did at work and who you are up. Right? And they're in a different category. They're here because of what they did. That's a religion. It's not good. But change your perspective. No, this is a guy who's probably hurt, probably really insecure, honestly, definitely lost. Is someone who needs the healing and transformation of Jesus Christ. What is that? That's through the eyes of a doctor. I take somebody else. See, it's not just this teenage girl. Maybe you got a friend, maybe you're a high school student, right? You've got a friend in high school, a college student. It's not just that girl in your class who's going around, she's already partying all the time, and she's already sleeping around, and you're looking and you're going, What is wrong with her? She just, that's unbelievable. I can't believe her. Right? You're going, I'm here, she's there. But you look through the eyes, not of a judge, but of a doctor, and you see someone who's probably hurt, probably definitely insecure, you know, maybe, maybe really struggling with significance or affirmation, maybe identity issues. Someone, for all you know, is crying on her pillow at night because of the choices that she's made. Well, what's that? Now you're looking like Jesus through the eyes of a doctor. See, if you look through the eyes of a doctor, you'll just see people. Okay? People on the same level as you. People who need Jesus, just as you do. And and I want you to listen to me, because I don't want you to confuse this. Because it sounds maybe a little bit like what the world says, but it's totally different. See, our culture today says, hey, listen up. Nobody's perfect. We all mess up. So why don't you just let everybody kind of live their own way and do their own thing? That's what the world says. Like, they kind of get it at the beginning, but then the application is incorrect. Jesus says, hey, everybody's sick. Including you. But that's why we all need a doctor. So we can be healed and changed. But I think really one of the hard questions is, do we do this? Like, do we live like this? Like Christ? Maybe there are pieces of where we do this. In fact, this, I was excited to get to this passage because this is the very passage where our strategy for event evangelism comes out of. So when we throw huge parties, right, we do like an Easter egg hunt, uh, we do a free Jimmy John's lunch or Chipotle lunch, or even uh, in a month or two we'll be doing our family fun day event. We'll have a ton of food trucks outside and inflatables, and we also have everybody come in here and we share with them the gospel, how to meet Jesus Christ. That strategy comes out of this very passage in Luke chapter chapter 5. Some of you maybe even heard me reference this passage in the past because that's where it comes out of. Levi doesn't just invite his friends to hear Jesus' lecture. He throws a big party and then has them meet Jesus. And that's what we do. That's part of our evangelism strategy. And yet, there are some of you in this room that have invited many people to those parties, and some of them have met Jesus, and they're following Jesus now, and they're sitting in this room today, and that's amazing, and so we're going to keep doing that. And yet, there are probably many of you that have invited people as our cultural landscape continues to shift, and you just kind of know that they're probably never going to accept your invitation to go to a church. But they would accept an invitation to go to your house, Maybe for dinner. And so that brings us to this question, maybe the hard question that we have to ask. Are we doing this? Like, is this us? We want to be like Christ, right? If you're a Christian. Well, then the question is, do you eat with today's version of sinners and tax collectors? Would that describe your life? Because if not, then we're not like Christ. This passage, I, for whatever reason, it's just been tearing me up inside this week. And I realize that I just keep coming to God with my excuses. Like, I come to God, and I say, God, okay, I just know that's in my heart. That's how I want to live my life. And I just know there's so much room for improvement here. But then I give him my excuses. I say, but listen, God, I'm a pastor, right? And so I know a lot of people reach out, and they, and they reach out to their coworkers And kind of by definition, my coworkers are already Christians, right? That's good. Um, But I just, so I give them that excuse, and I say, God, I'm just so busy. I I work a ton of hours. I just pour my life into this. And so when I'm home, I just want to be home giving time to my family, my wife, and my kids. And so I I just don't have the time to have lost people over, and I just, I just, and see, I, I can bring as many excuses as I want, but the fact is I'm not being like Christ, there's no way around it. You see, at Renovation Church, this is the church where God is on the move, and we've seen so many people come to Christ, and that's amazing, but our vision is to be a people being changed by God to change the world, but you can't change the world if you never get out into it. Now, when I was in uh, Rwanda, in Eastern Africa, in June, had the opportunity to speak at this church uh, that had grown to a thousand people uh, even though it was right in the Muslim district of Kigali, Rwanda. And this particular church had reached a a number of of Muslims for for Christ. And while we were there, we were talking with the pastor uh, after the service in his office. And I asked him, I said, tell me, how have you had so much success in reaching Muslims for Christ? And he said, well, here's how it sort of happened. He said, in Rwanda, Like in many other parts of the world, uh, many Muslims are polygamists, uh, which means that they have more than one wife. He says often what happens is the second or third or fourth wife just becomes completely neglected to the family. And she said, so the Christians in our church really work to notice them, to invite them over, spend time with them, invest in them, just show them the love of Christ. And we see so many of those women come to Christ and then their kids, and then sometimes the husband it's through relationships. Uh, he shared with us another story. He said that there was this uh, Muslim couple. They were newly married, and he said that him and his wife had had this young couple over to their house for meals a, a number of times. And he said, one time, said, I was serving the young man coffee, and he just stopped me in his tracks, and he said, you know what? An imam, just like the leader of a mosque, would never do that said, well, why? He said, because I am beneath him. I am below him as a leader, and so I should be serving him. He said, why would you, the leader, be serving me? And he said, because we already had a relationship. He was in my house, and he trusted me, and he liked me. I was able to just share with him in that moment how Jesus served and put himself lower, and washed the feet. And how Jesus even served by giving his own life. You see, there are so many of you in this room that you have a great marriage. And you do, even though you give yourself a hard time, you do a great job, honestly, of parenting your kids. I just want to tell you, it would be such a testimony to the world if people could only see it. But instead, we hide in our houses. Hidden from the rest of the non-Christian world. All while Jesus was out having parties with unbelievers. I just think there's a lot of ways we can change this. And I know some of you are starting to do this in our church, and it's amazing to watch. I just want to give you a number of practical examples. Just think about eating. We eat all the time. Maybe too many times, right? And when you eat invite someone to eat with you. If you're going to go out for lunch, invite a coworker to come out to lunch with you. When you just sit across from a person and you eat, it's a disarming. Right? Invite your neighbors over. We've got to get over. i got to get over this. We've got to get over having our houses perfectly clean before somebody comes over. Right? It's not about making yourself look great. It's about making him look great. I mean, even just do this thought exercise. Okay, what if Jesus decided he was going to come back to earth just sort of secretly for a little bit, right? This is totally not biblical. And he comes to to Blaine, and he lives here just for a year. How do you think Jesus would spend his time? Do you think he would go to church? Yeah, I think so. We just went over this passage a couple of weeks ago where it says that Jesus had the custom of attending weekly worship. Do you think he would go to house groups? Yeah, probably, because he hung out with his disciples all the time, you know, his Christian community. But honestly, beyond that, the Gospels tell us that Jesus spent the most of the rest of his time outside of the traditional faith community. He just spent a lot of time teaching and hanging out with and eating with the group of people that everybody else had lab- labeled the sinners. I think Jesus would look more like my friend uh, Phil Santillon. Uh, Phil is a pastor of a sister church of ours uh, called Clarity Church. Uh, I meet in Plymouth. And uh, Phil told me a story uh, a number of months ago, and he said uh, last year, so at the end of 2017, uh, when he and his wife were planning on what they were going to do for New Year's Eve, he said they were thinking, probably like most of us thought in church, well, either we're just going to stay home, right, or get a couple of kids or whatever, or there were a number of people from church that were kind of throwing Christian church, you know, this church people, New Year's Eve parties. And their heart is just for the lost. And so as he said his wife said to him, let's just not do that. Let's just call up all of our friends that we know from work, from around, and see what the people who don't know Christ are doing. Let's hang out with them. And said that they were going to do it. So there were a bunch of their friends. A whole bunch of people were getting together. None of them were Christians. And they were in, kids were coming and everything, so they packed up their whole family, and they went to this New Year's Eve party. And they went, and it was quite eventful. And then on the way home, Phil told me that his, they spent basically the whole car ride home explaining to their kids why they don't use those type of words at home, and why they don't drink that many beers all at the same time. But then he said it was the most powerful car ride ever because they just got to tangibly explain to their kids that why they were there, and that without Jesus, without them penetrating in and being a part of these people's lives, without Jesus, those people will perish. They won't have salvation. He said their kids got to not just read about, they got to see the world through the eyes of a doctor. And hopefully soon they will see the power then of a transformed and healed life. Here's the thing. I think too many of us as Christian parents, we honestly, when we talk to our kids, we just give lip service to evangelism and outreach. But honestly, our kids have never seen us interact with people who don't know Jesus. They're not coming over to your house. You're not spending time with them. And honestly, as your kids grow up, they're never going to believe you that you say that's important because they don't see it in your own life. And honestly, what will happen is our kids will develop and they'll grow with the eyes of a judge and not the eyes of a doctor. Any sociologist would tell you this that when We don't let it in our lives. When we isolate and we isolate them, then they're just going to look at people and they will see them as different. And traditionally, when we see people as different, we see them as beneath. We can say what we want about how we value evangelism and reaching people for Christ, but honestly, I think our lives and our schedules look closer to that of the Pharisees than they do to that of Jesus Christ. And so I just encourage you, no matter where you're starting from, even if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm just not being like Christ, i got to change this. You start with just praying, God, give me the eyes of a doctor. Because you can't change otherwise. God, give me the eyes of a doctor. And start just venturing out. Not just to form new relationships, it's always with the intention of leading people to Christ. Levi didn't just throw a party. Jesus was the guest of honor. The hope was that they would meet Jesus. There's so many ways we can get better at this. Our house groups need to get better at this. We do an amazing job. This church has absolutely incredible community. But when our house groups, when you guys hang out together, which you do all the time, rather than just hanging out with five of your closest Christian friends, invite someone to come with you who doesn't know Jesus. Work together. The disciples were working together, right? They were at Levi's party. When you, uh, a number of you, a ton of you actually are hosting kind of summer Bible studies. When you do that, don't just host a summer Bible study with eight of your closest Christian friends. Always, every time, invite a skeptic. Invite someone who doesn't know Christ to just open up the word with you. Uh, American Christians, particularly in the last 25 to 35 years, have been, unfortunately, notorious about separating and isolating. Right? We've just started a, cr- a Christian everything. we got a Christian version of this, a Christian version of this. Like We start Christian book clubs. Right? And rather than getting together with like five Christian friends and two people we could bring in who could also learn about Jesus, we just do the Christian version of it. We start Christian knitting clubs and Christian scrapbooking groups. Again, rather than joining the one that's already kind of in the community and trying to get in and make an influence for Christ, we just pull away. And the more you separate and the more you isolate, the more you're prone to look through the eyes of a judge. And not the eyes of a doctor. There's so many ways we can do this differently. Like if you're a guy and you live in a neighborhood of one of those neighborhoods where people actually do get together, and maybe you're like, it's not in my neighborhood, but there are neighborhoods like that. Let's say there are five guys and they get together every Friday for playing cards and drinking beer, right? Okay, well, rather than just fretting about it, show up and play with them. Because that's potentially going to be a problem for you, like, I don't know, it could be kind of dangerous for me, I just, well, just show up with a Mountain Dew and $20 in your wallet and just play. Right, Do do we think that all the disciples were only okay with being at Levi's party because they were drinking sparkling water and that's why they're okay? If your coworkers invite you to join the work softball team or their softball team, join it. Right, Even if you show up and all the guys on the team are hitting on women that aren't their wives, right? and they're telling lewd jokes, well, you just pipe in. You tell them how awesome your wife is. Right? But do not say, oh, sorry, I can't play with you guys because I'm on the church softball team. Like, We've got to stop doing that. In this culture, if we're going to make a difference, we're actually going to reach people for Christ. I guarantee you, if Jesus was here for a year, he wouldn't spend his time quarantining christians into social activities where they can safely have fun and make sure they don't have to hear any swear words this is not the heart of christ get out there go to your high school reunion right stay sober laugh about how awkward you used to be and then just tell people how jesus has changed their life you're still a little bit awkward but otherwise he's (laughs) changed your life Here's one that I want to excel in personally as my kids get older. Go to your kids' sporting events. As you're sitting there in the lawn chair, don't just be scrolling through Instagram, not talking to anyone. Start up relationships, friendships. See yourself, not just as a... Oh, look, I can't what she's doing. Not through the eyes of a judge, but through the eyes of a doctor. Let God move, and he can do this. Don't be afraid. I heard a guy say the other day, and I think this is so true in 2018 in America, things have shifted quickly. He said, nowadays, do you know where you can meet people who are far from God? He said, Basically everywhere but the church. Just get out of your house. And let's do something. Let's see people through new eyes. Ask God, give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. Take away these eyes of a judge. Give me your eyes of a doctor. And just pray this week, God, say, who is it? Who do you want me to reach out to? What do you want me to start? Where do you want me to start looking where I could join forward? Who do you want me to bring in to hang out with our group? God, give me your eyes. If you do that, he's going to move. God just moves through people who are willing, and he's going to move through you. Let me pray. God, I pray that we would be a church that does not isolate, doesn't sequester, doesn't quarantine, God. But we want to change the world, and so we want to get out into the world. Use us, give us courage, God, and just give us testimonies of your grace and change in people's lives. And may we reflect you. May we go out and see people, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, and know that you love them, you forgive them, and you want to walk in and change their lives. God, move boldly through us as a church. It's in your name we pray. Amen.